God is with you. Let us pray. Living God, burning wild and unconfined, you call us to a new being, free from the fear of death. Take away the limits that bind our imagination and choke our compassion, that we may feel your pleasure in all that brings us life. Through Jesus Christ. Amen. Caroline Norton is not a household name. But in the early 19th century in England, she was a force of nature. A poet, a novelist, an editor, not to mention a socialite. Her closest friends were the literary and political luminaries of her time. as Mary Shelley, author of Frankenstein, Benjamin Disraeli, the Prime Minister, and the future king, Leopold I of Belgium. Unfortunately, Caroline Norton had a horrible marriage. Her husband was an alcoholic, he was jealous and possessive, he was a barrister and a member of parliament, but a financial failure. He frequently abused Caroline both mentally and physically. In 1836, Caroline Norton left her husband. She was making enough money from her writing that she could get by without him. Unfortunately, that's not how money worked in England in the early 19th century, all money belonged to the husband in a marriage. Women had no right to money or property. Caroline's earnings were legally her husband's. So were her children, which the husband stole away to England. Caroline Norton did not take this lying down. She became an advocate for women's rights. She spoke before Parliament. She petitioned and befriended Queen Victoria. She fought tooth and nail. Under Caroline Norton's influence, Parliament passed the Custody of Infants Act of 1839, the Matrimonial Causes Act of 1857, and the Married Women's Property Act of 1870. That's over 30 years of advocacy work, successful advocacy work. Her work influenced Susan B. Anthony in the United States and the subsequent Married Women's Property Act of 1839 in the U.S. Caroline Norton changed the history of women's rights forever. In particular, she helped transition the role of women from property to autonomy. Today, we read a passage that must have driven Caroline Norton crazy. Just as it drove Jesus crazy 2,000 years before. I think it's noteworthy that the biblical scholars Matt Skinner and Caroline Lewis call today's passages the worst readings in the lectionary. The gospel passage is particularly bad. It's chock full of offensive subjects and implications, including, but not limited to, patriarchy, infertility issues, remarriage, objectification of women, 
and, of course, a litany of heteronormative assumptions. So let's take a second and acknowledge the fact that we are reading a text written in Greek in Palestine 2,000 years ago that references texts written in Hebrew 2,500 years ago that were guidelines for a culture across the world from us about 3,000 years ago. Even to read these words, translation is necessary, but to get to the deeper meaning, we must employ all our hearts and all of our minds and all of our strength. I totally get it if you don't feel up to that today, but for those who are either curious or filled with anger and hatred at this text, buckle up, let's take that ride. The Sadducees come to Jesus with a question. They don't really care about this question. They're basically trying to trip Jesus up to catch him in a legalistic trap. The legalistic trap is based on the concept of Leverite marriage, which comes to us courtesy of Deuteronomy 25. Originally, this was a solution to a social justice issue. Widows were marginalized. They couldn't own land or property, and without a Without children, they had no claim to anything else, no property. Think Caroline Norton, but way worse. Without a husband, they had no livelihood. Widows were up a creek. And to help widows from financial ruin and social isolation, the writers of Deuteronomy made a law that men should marry their brother's widows. Great. It's a well-intentioned idea. But the Sadducees bend that good thing for their own purposes. Who were the Sadducees? They were one of the major sects of Judaism in Jesus' time. They were an elite class. They were also the main authorities of the temple in Jerusalem. The only texts that mattered to the Sadducees were the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Hebrew Bible. And if it wasn't in there, the Sadducees didn't really care about it. With that in mind, let's go back to their question. A man is married to a woman. He dies, so his brother does the honorable thing. He spares the woman the social and economic isolation of being a widow. The brother marries the woman. He dies, no kids. The next brother marries the woman. He dies, no kids, etc. So the Sadducees want to know, whose wife is she in heaven? There's an important detail it's referenced in the text. The Sadducees don't believe in life after death. They're asking a question about something they think is nonsense. They're being legalistic, adhering stringently to the law in order to set a trap. Just for a second, let's play along. Let's dork out on the law so we can understand why they brought this up. There are two passages in this premise. There's the idea that a brother is to marry his widow wife, which comes from us from Deuteronomy 25.5, which we've talked about. And then there's the idea that the brother, a brother must produce offspring for his, brother, for his brother's widow, which is implied in Genesis 38.8. The point is that the Sadducees have blended two different laws to create this so-called problem. And Jesus essentially tells them that their premise is flawed. He says, you are asking the wrong question. Heaven is not about marriage or possession or social status or money. You are asking the wrong question. This woman doesn't belong to anyone. She is a human being. She is an autonomous 
child of God. As Jesus puts it, she shares in Jesus' resurrection. She is not an object, not a possession. As a culture, we are still crawling toward the fullness of what Jesus said 2,000 years ago. The little tricks of men in power that have kept women from expressing their autonomy and their equality, their full selves, those tricks shouldn't fool us anymore. And yet, globally, women own a mere 20% of the land. In the United States, women are paid 83 cents to every dollar men earn. The glass ceiling remains for women at the highest office of government, symbolic of the extent to which patriarchy is still the norm. Clearly, we have much farther to go to realize the equality that Jesus suggested so long ago. We also tend to miss the point of what Jesus says about the kingdom of God. Our culture still depicts the afterlife as people on fluffy clouds, something out of the Simpsons. We tend to behave as if the experience after death is at best more of the same. Jesus is clearly saying that's not it at all. There's no marriage, death, or anything like that in God's kingdom. In fact, God's kingdom is not locative. It's not a place. It's here and now. But before we get lost in the woods there, let's get back to what Jesus says. Jesus reminds us that God is with the living. God is actively transforming our lives as we speak, empowering us to change this world. I've met so many people who are hung up on the problems and conflicts in scripture. People who swear that women shouldn't speak in church or that women should wear headscarves or that human sexuality should only be expressed one way. That stuff does not come from the living God. The questions we must ask are nothing like what the Sadducees ask. The questions we must ask are more like the one that poet Mary Oliver asks in her poem, The Summer Day. What is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? You can spend your days lost in the woods of religious legalism, or you could get tangled up in the problems of your own design, or you can let the living God, the Holy Spirit, love eternal, work through you and instruct you on how God's love should unfold in our times. We can follow the example of Caroline Norton and see the world as it needs to be and dedicate our lives to making that change come to fruition. Today, Jesus reminds us that the life we live goes beyond our time. Who we are becomes part of all that was and is and is to come. There is life eternal, and we are called to be part of it now. Amen.